0: All right, welcome back to Formate Arbitration, and today we're going to continue on with the Just Cause Principles. Uh, we've got uh, our first two out of the way. This will be the third of six, so we're almost halfway through. Again, if you're a new shop steward or shop steward that's been doing this for a while, and you're wondering where do I start when you get disciplined, maybe get on social media and ask people questions and whatever, and whatever. where you start is the Just Cause Principles. That's the very beginning of Article 16 for a reason. And that's your roadmap of where you're going to go when you get discipline. Things that you're going to look for and defend against, that's the just cause principles. And that's the best place to start because if you don't have just cause, you don't have discipline. So uh, that's where I would start if I was going to be uh, attacking discipline of any form is is right there at the beginning of article 16 with the just cause principles i'm going to read this to you again i've read it in my first two and uh, i think it's important it's out of the el921 handbook supervisor's guide to handling grievances uh, again that's el921 handbook supervisor's guide to handling grievances and i would have this in my template if i was you and, uh, and that's how I'd start out every, all of my contentions when we're dealing with discipline. I would start it out with this EL 921 handbook. And it states this on page 26 The definition of just cause varies from case to case, but arbitrators frequently divide the question of just cause into six sub questions and often apply the following criteria to determine whether the action was for just cause. These criteria are the basic considerations that the supervisor uses before initiating disciplinary action. Discipline should not be issued if no is the answer to any of the questions. So I was telling you there, out of the six sub-questions, if we can find just a one no out of the six, then discipline shouldn't be issued because that means you didn't have just cause, right? So page 26 of the EL921 Handbook, Supervisor's Guide to Handling Grievances, that's going to be at the top of my contentions, all right? And then we'll go through the just cause provisions, just cause principles, and uh, we'll try to find one of them that management didn't meet. And so today we're going to go through the third one, and it's a huge one. It's a very good one, and it's this. Is the rule consistently and equitably enforced? Uh, that's that's a massive just cause principle and that's one that we can just about catch management on all the time if uh, we know how to do that Uh, you may need to, to contact your formal step a rep i do i contact mine all the time and uh i'm in an installation a huge installation i've got 16 stations in my installation and so i'll ask him if something comes up i'll say hey his name is jason leith i call him jb i say hey jb uh Do we have anything like this going on around the city where management has uh, attempted to issue discipline, or do we know of cases where this this particular thing has happened? And I'll give you, for instance, we had a CCA that was doing Sunday Amazon. Uh, She was caught out of her vehicle. It was running. It was hot. She had just left it on because the air. uh, She had one of those big vans. The air conditioner was running, so she left it on. You know, you shouldn't do that obviously. But it's 120 degrees in that vehicle and outside. And so she she left it on to get the air conditioned, keep the air conditioned running. And management removed her for it. And and I represented her in arbitration. But one of the biggest arguments that JB came up with uh, to defend this young lady was three other CCAs or two other CCAs been caught in the same situation, and they weren't even given an official discussion. So that, that fell right in line with with this one here. So call your formal step A, tell them what you're dealing with, and see if there's anything else going on around the city that he can say, yeah, that's happened over at uh, this station here, and they didn't do anything to that carrier. You know, well, can you get me a statement to that effect? Absolutely. And so contact your formal step A on this one. And you may know things in your station. And I'll talk about some of those things here in just a second. But is the rule consistently and equitably enforced? And here's how it reads A rule must be applied fairly and without discrimination. That sums it up right there. That's beautiful, right? Anytime you hear must, pay attention to that. Highlight that, underline that. That's a mandate. Okay, when you're reading contract, when you're reading the jcam and you see a must, that's that's strong. That's the strongest language. Okay, you must. So, a rule must be applied fairly and without discrimination. Speaks for itself, but it's extremely powerful. Consistent and equitable enforcement is a critical factor. That's another huge sentence. That's a huge sentence. The word, the verbiage on that is what we're looking for when we talk to arbitrators. Consistent and equitable enforcement is a critical factor. So consistent. That means this is how we're doing things here. This is how things are handled here consistently. That's how we're going to do things. Equitable. You can't treat me any different than anybody else told you earlier I had a supervisor that came into my station and decided he was going to pick on one race, and we obliterated that son of a bitch. But that's, that's what that's talking about. Consistent and equitable enforcement is a critical factor. You're not going to single me out. Other people are not going to do things, and then you're going to single me out for one reason or another. This protects me from that. This protects me from that. This protects our brothers and sisters from that. And it happens a lot. It happens all the time. So consistent and equitable enforcement is a critical factor. Consistently overlooking employee infractions and then discipling without warning is improper. And I'm going to continue on with this one and come back and address it. If employees are consistently allowed to smoke in areas designated as no smoking areas, it is not appropriate suddenly to start disciplining them for this violation. In such cases, management loses its right to discipline for that infraction. That's massive language, and I'm going to show you why in just a second. I'm going to read that again. In such cases, management loses its right to discipline for that infraction, in effect, unless it first puts employees and the unions on notice of its intent to enforce that regulation again. Here's why that's big. Even if management has a rule, even if there is a rule, like the first sub-question, is there a rule? Even if there is a rule, but in your station, management consistently overlooks that rule. And let's say, for instance, DPS. You're sticking your DPS. You have a handful of carriers in your station that stick their DPS. And you get a new manager that comes in there. You've been sticking your DPS for the last six, seven managers. They don't say anything about it. And you get a new manager, supervisor, come in there and they see you sticking your DPS and they call you into the office and say, Corey, you're sticking your DPS. Yeah, that's right. Well, do you know that you're not supposed to be sticking that? Well, yeah. I mean, I know that there's a rule that says we can't stick our DPS. But yet you're still deciding to stick your DPS, even though you know there's a rule against it? Well, yeah, but, you know, we well, there's a rule against it. <laughs> so I don't need any other explanation. So take this letter warning let's don't do it again. You can't do that. You can't do that to me because of this just cause provision. That's how powerful that is. Even if there's a rule and in your station, they consistently overlook that rule. You're going to have to come up to me and tell me, Hey, Corey know you're sticking your DPS. Yeah. We've been doing that a long time. Yeah. We're not going to do that anymore. Okay. Uh, the rule is we don't stick our DPS. So from now on, uh, just letting you know, we're not going to do that any longer. That's how that should be handled. Uh, I had another. I had a carrier come into my station. He was from another station. He bid into my station, and and for whatever reason, he empties a lot of his ub a lot of his advo into UBBM, and management finds that, and so they bring it to my attention. Well, obviously that's not good. <laughs> we deliver. Our mail so he empties an ebbm so i'm talking to him in the office before we're going for investigative interview i said hey man talk to me about this what's you know what's going on with that he says well the station i came from when we had advo that had didn't have proper addresses or apartments with no apartment numbers they told us to discard them well okay that's exactly what you're going to say when we're going to this inves- investigative interview that where you came from, this was the practice. That's this rule right here. That's this just cause provision. You're not going to be able to discipline that man for discarding the mail because that's been the practice where he came from. That, that's what this is talking about. So it's a massive just cause provision. And I've got some beautiful sites for you uh, where we talk about that. But let, let's carry on. Let's finish this one out. And then I'll get into these sites. You're going to love these sites because they talk about this. And they also talk about some things we talked about earlier. And they're very good sites. Uh, one, seven pages. I'm going to read the whole thing. And, and I hate that. But, man, it's beautiful. And there's another one that's really good. But let's let's finish this one out. Singling out employees for discipline is usually improper. Well, I say it's always improper. But it says usually improper. If several similarly situated employees commit an offense, it would not be equitable to discipline only one. Remember in El Corry and El Corry, when I talked about Just Cause where it states this, thus to interpret the agreement in accord with the claim of the company would reduce to a nullity the fundamental provision of a labor management agreement the security of a worker in his job. Remember when I said that, the security of a worker in his job? That's this just cause provision. That's this one right here. That's what it's talking about. When it says singling out employees for discipline is usually improper. If several similarly situated employees commit an offense, it would not be equitable to discipline only one. That's the security in my job. That's what that is. That means that if you don't like me, that's tough shit. If, if you got several carriers that are doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, DPS, ADVO, things like that. Uh, I had a situation in another station, a uh, representative carrier. During the winter, they would all go out, turn their vehicles on, walk around their vehicle while it was de-icing, while it was thawing out, while the windows were getting defrosted. They would walk around their vehicle and... Here comes safety. Safety comes riding up on them. All their vehicles are running. They're out looking around their vehicle and stuff. And so they single one of them out. Why is your vehicle running? He's looking around like, hell, everybody's vehicle's running. <laughs> he didn't snitch on nobody, but he's, you know, he's looking, he's, telling, he's looking around like, hold up just a second. Everybody around here's vehicle's running. Put him on EP and try to discipline him. Absolutely not. That, that's what this one's for. That's what this just cause provision is for right here. You're not going to do that to me. You're not going to single me out. If everybody's doing it and we've been doing that, first off, you're not going to discipline me then. I don't care if the rule is that you're supposed to be in your vehicle when it's running. If for the last 10 winters we've been allowed to go out there and do that, then you're going to have to put me on notice. We're not going to do that anymore. That's what this provision is for it protects me from that. That's powerful because if I've got a situation where the rule is very, is crystal clear, but yet you let me do that forever. You're going to put me on notice first that we're no longer going to do that. All right. Does that make sense to y'all? It's a great provision. Again, be best friends with your formal A. And contact them and say, hey, they got one of my carriers out here for doing this. Have you heard anything like that around the city? Oh, yeah, that happens all the time over here and at this station. They never say anything about it. Well, give me a statement, please, if you don't mind. And uh, and I'm going to put that in my contention, saying that it's, that, it's, uh, that, that rule is not consistently and equitably enforced. All right? Arbitrators will cling on to that one. They're not going to let you do that. That's a beautiful argument. I've got some sites here. And I'm going to read them to you if you don't mind. And this is one and this is one that I deal with all of the time in arbitration, what, what I'm fixing to talk about here. This is one that we deal with all of the time. Management's opinion. Ma- management, they don't want to recognize just cause. Now, they will go through the just cause provisions and their contingent saying that they met it. But they don't want to recognize it as what it is. Okay. Management's philosophy is, and unfortunately I have arbitrators that one lady that I told you about, who's an enemy to Letter care. She's under this ideology. She, she follows this ideology that if you're guilty, what's the sentence due process, just cause doesn't matter to her. She doesn't consider that you guilty. What's the penalty? That's her, uh, and management has that, and that's what this site's talking about here. But I'll tell you uh, one uh, about one thing I had with this this individual, this arbitrator, and and she's an atrocity. But I had a removal west of here as a gentleman who's been at the post office about twenty years has never been in trouble. Uh, I think he was a retired military, and his UBBM, or his advo, he hadn't had an MO. <laughs> On Mondays, he'd leave the ADVO in his vehicle. On Tuesdays, his ADVO would end up in the dumpster. So this has been going on for several weeks. So in the hearing, I catch management and the OIG all kind of making some stuff up. And uh, I asked the OIG, I said, now, did you see the gentleman emptying the ADVO into the dumpster? He said, well, he said, I saw him emptying something into the dumpster. I said, okay. I said, now, where were you at? Well, I was across this parking lot behind this tree, and I was looking at him. I said, okay. I said, how do y'all do that? You got cameras or something? Oh, no, cameras are obsolete. We use our phone. I said, okay. I said, so you video them with your phone? Yeah. I said, now, where's the video? Well, I didn't video it on this date because, uh, you know, his, I said, well, why didn't you video it? Well, because I wouldn't have seen it. I said, well, hell, now we can't see it. Uh, that's your job but he he didn't video it so we got to take his word for it and then we got uh the supervisor he said uh said that was this guy's mo to do this i said so you watched him throw it into the dumpster oh no i never saw him throw anything into the dumpster well why did you not watch him to see if he's throwing a dumpster well i didn't want him to see me i asked the manager did you watch him throw it in the dumpster no i didn't watch him either Well, why didn't you watch him throw it in the dumpster? Well, because nobody told me to. That's what she said. So nobody saw this gentleman throw anything in the dumpster. And arbitrarily, she she fired him. She said even though the union proved management couldn't prove that he had thrown it in the dumpster, more than likely he did. That was her quantum of proof. More than likely he did. 20-year veteran. Retired military. Maybe he did more than likely he may have but your quantum of proof has to be higher than that damn i was on a rabbit trail right there but this this is what i'm talking about this is uh this is how management likes to use it and this is a great site for you okay because management is under the idea of he's guilty what's the penalty they don't want to hear about just cause this arbitrator absolutely obliterates that all right it's 27963, 27963, and it's Arbitrator Bruce Fraser. all right? It's from 2008, Arbitrator Bruce Frazier. I'm going to start on page 7, and this is what he says. I'm going to start kind of in the middle. I point out that the service relies on the MOU regarding Article 16, in particular where it provides, and this is back when they had TEs, a transitional employee may otherwise be removed for just cause, and any such removal will be subject to the grievance arbitration procedure, kind of like CCAs are now. Further, in any such grievance, the concept of progressive discipline will not apply. That's exactly like our CCAs now, probably where they got that language from. The issue will be whether the employee is guilty of the charge against him or her. Where the employee is found guilty, the arbitrator shall not have the authority to modify the discharge. So if you're found guilty, There is no mitigation. You're fired, right? Here's what he says. As note above, finding that a grievant is guilty of the committing the action for which he was charged, in this case, using his privately owned vehicle to drive to his route without authorization, is not synonymous with there being just cause for the imposition of a particular discipline. So he kills management's argument right there. Just because the agreement was found guilty of committing the offense does not mean that management has met just cause. Okay? You still have to meet just cause. This is what he says. Six conditions must also be met for there to be just cause. He's talking about the six sub-questions of just cause, right? And so, so he goes on to state, Simply put, There's a contradiction in the MOU language, in particular the statement. The issue will be whether the employee is guilty of the charge is only the first part of the standard. Meeting the relevant conditions is a second. Although the condition of progressive discipline is not applicable here, the other five conditions are in play and need be considered. So he's he's breaking down just cause for you, the just cause principles. The charge which agreement was terminated was the failure to follow instructions. Now, remember in an early episode when I talked about management will always use that against us? That's that's a catch-all. Failure to follow instructions. He's going to get into what's the instruction. Is the rule a reasonable rule? Is there a rule? What was the instruction? So, here's what he says. Namely, the unauthorized use of a privately owned vehicle. There are three issues to consider. First, I'm not convinced that the grievance was aware that in order to obtain authorization to use one's POV to travel to a route, a carrier is required to have a drive-out agreement. There is no evidence that he even knew of the existence of a drive-out agreement. He's breaking down just cause for you right there. He was not asked. He stated that he knew that he was not authorized to use, use his POV, but he also stated that he didn't know that one had to be authorized to drive to a route. There was no evidence that he was so informed in his training as a Brooklyn TE. The witnesses for the service testified that the new hire trainees are instructed to the, on the do's and don'ts of the job. But no one specifically stated that the drive-out agreement was discussed in the Brooklyn training. Perez testified gratefully that he thought the non-driving information was related to the Postal Service vehicles, not his personally owned vehicle, and that the non-driver stamped on his TE badge referred to Postal Service vehicles. In short, I'm not convinced that the grievant was aware that there was a rule which he violated on May 3rd, 2008. Hence, he was not aware of disobeying instructions. That's fantastic. Second, assuming for the sake of argument that he was aware of the rule requiring him to have authorization to use his own POV, there is no evidence that anyone informed the grievance that the penalty the first time he was caught using his POV to travel to his route would be termination. This places the seriousness of the unauthorized use of the POV on a par with being drunk of the job or stealing from the service, contrary to common sense. So there is one of the biggest arguments you'll ever make about is there a rule? Is the employee aware of the rule? Was the employer forewarned of the disciplinary consequences for to follow the rule? Remember I talked about that earlier? There's three parts to that. He's talking about that third part. You ever tell the man what would happen if, if he didn't obey the rule? We've got to start using that more. I covered that in an earlier episode, but he goes on to state, third, The unrebutted testimony of the stewards leaves no doubt that the driveout requirement was not enforced consistently and uniformly. That's what we're talking about here. It is significant that even when Rivera gave the names of three letter carriers that routinely were driving their POVs to the routes, but without a drive-out agreement, there was no challenge to his claims and no rebuttal. In conclusion, although there is no question that Perez committed the act of using his POV while on the clock without authorization, there were two conditions of just cause that were not met. First, there was no evidence that he knew about the drive-out agreement conferring authorization to drive to one's route or that he knew that what penalty would be imposed. Beautiful. Should he drive an unauthorized POV to his route? Second, there was no challenge to the testimony from three stewards that the rule was not enforced consistently and uniformly. I find that there was not just cause to terminate Perez for his actions on May 3rd, 2008. That's a great sight. He covers several things. That's absolutely beautiful. You had three stewards come in and talk about, hey, I've got carriers over here doing the same thing, and they're not being disciplined. What did the arbitrator say? You didn't have just cause. You can't discipline this man for something other people are allowing to be done. You can't do that. I got my defenses to discipline book. I talk about it all the time. It's, It's the old one, 1988 edition. On page 58, it talks about rule grievance broke was otherwise unenforced. And this is what it states. This is case number 02803, 02803. And this is what it talks about. This is what it states. The core of this issue is the established past practice at the Pittsburgh Post Office of sometimes disposing of deliberate third-class mail, however contrary to postal regulations and however illegal it may have been. That practice existed, and it is of crucial consideration in this dispute. When such a practice is condoned, it is simply not fair that one or two employees bear the entire brunt of the the correct, necessary, and entirely justifiable determination of management to bring such a practice to a halt. An employer has the right to enforce reasonable regulations, and the Postal Service in particular has an obligation to see that the mail is delivered. That is the reason for its existence." Any employer has an obligation to inform employees clearly without equivocation and without the possibility of misunderstanding when rules which have been ignored are to be enforced and when wrongful practices which have been condoned are to cease. While the Postal Service has endeavored to show that it met these obligations in the present dispute, the proof falls short of making that showing. Again, just like this young man that was throwing his advo away. If you have a practice of doing that and management has condoned that or allowed that to happen, you can't just arbitrarily discipline me because I'm doing that. Even if it's as wrong as it can be, you know, we don't ever throw mail away. But even if it's as wrong as it is, if it's been condoned, if management has overlooked that, you cannot discipline me on a first case. You have to put me on notice, hey, that practice of doing that, we're not doing that anymore. That, that's not going to happen. Just like those vehicles running. We're not doing that anymore. Just like DPS. We're not doing that anymore. You have to put me on notice. That's my protection and my job that El Cory and El Cory was talking about. I've got one more site. It's going to be a long one, okay? But it's, it's beautiful. It, it absolutely is. And it's from 1972, I think, or 73 and it's it looks like it's ancient egyptian scrolls you can barely read it so i'm gonna do the best i can but i want you to listen to this language how it's talking about these just cause principles okay Uh, it's zero two zero two nine zero two zero two nine and it's in front of arbitrator warns looks like warns is it warner it's so old, I can't tell. Carl, A, I can't tell if that's an S or an A there. Warner or Warned Jr., Impartial arbitrator, okay? And this is what he talks about. And, and listen to this. I'm going to read to you for a little bit, so don't go to sleep. Opinion. The issue in the present case is whether the two-day suspension imposed upon Mr. Peter Mortolero <laughs> was for just cause within the meaning of Article 16 of the National Agreement. The basic facts are not in dispute. In the latter part of February 1972, an incident not relevant to this grievance occurred. The grievance following this incident was advised by Mr. Swakow, Superintendent of Delivery and Collection, that in the future he was expected to personally ring off the clock at the end of the working day and to also ring off a motor vehicle when he was no longer using it. This instruction was given on or about March 1st, 1972, and repeated by higher supervision. So that was March 1st. On March 13th, 1972, the grievance failed to ring off the motor vehicle on the time clock, and as a result, the two day suspension was imposed. So management comes out with this directive on March 1st. On March 13th, he didn't follow it, so they gave him a two day suspension. It is briefly the position of the union that the punishment was too severe for the offense. The union contended and introduced evidence that other employees have failed to ring off the clock under these circumstances without discipline. That's a great job by the union. Further, there was testimony from the grievant himself that in all of his years of service, he had never been disciplined before and that on the occasion in question, there was no deliberate intent to ignore instructions given by management. The employer's response is that this is a serious offense. Management is insistent that employees record the turning in of vehicles as required for several reasons. Who is currently responsible for the use of the vehicle is recorded. The employer is able to ascertain for legitimate business reasons how often the vehicle is in use and additionally utilizing the clock for purposes of showing the use of the vehicles gives management control over the employees when they are on and off the street. The employer agrees that on No other employee has been disciplined for this offense, but points out the special circumstances regarding Mr. Mortolero. Management refers the arbitrator to Part 442.161, which reads as follows. And that's basically, follow the instructions of your supervisor. Management points out that the grievance had been counseled for the same offense only two weeks prior to the date on which the incident occurred without any mitigating circumstances. Management believes that the suspension is consistent with the offense and that the grievance should be denied. There's a strong appeal to an argument that when the grievant has been told to ring off vehicles in the future and yet within 2 weeks failed to carry out the order, receives a 2-day suspension, the union during the processing of this complaint pled guilty to the offense but contends that the punishment is too severe for such a minor infraction and that a 1-day suspension Or a letter of warning would be more appropriate, for the arbitrator to reduce the penalty under the facts would be an unwarranted instruction into legitimate management decision making. In this regard, it has been stated many times that the task of the arbitrator is not to substitute his judgment for that of the union or management. His job is to decide whether the contract has been violated. But in their closing argument, the union emphasized a principle that neutralizes the otherwise persuasive character of the company's argument. This principle is basic to the limitation of just cause found in the agreement before me. The union refers the arbitrator to a letter of March 29, 1972, addressed to all delivery supervisors, which reads as follows. Examination of vehicle cards has shown that employees fail at times to clock in or clock out the vehicle they use. All vehicle cards are to be reviewed constantly and corrective action taken when these failures show up. Repeated failures will not be tolerated. Corrective action is not merely writing in the time on cards. You should take action to assure that the employee will follow instructions. You must give this your immediate and constant attention. This notification of company policy was written on March 29, 1972, after the fact. The discipline was imposed in this case on March 13, 1972. The contention that is, until the letter was written, the only standard or criteria evident to the employee as to what punishment, if any, would result in the event of a failure to ring off a vehicle was the existing practice. And the existing practice was that the most anyone had received was a chewing out in front of fellow employees. And this is obviously written before the joint statement, because you're not going to chew me out in front of other employees. Now, except in those cases clearly known to be the basis for discipline, such as theft or the like, I agree that employees should be put on upon notice that discipline will follow from certain prescribed activity. I do not say there must be a published rule in writing covering all offenses together with predetermined punishment article 16 sets forth the more serious rules governing employee behavior but as to those not covered by article 16 agreed to by the union or some other published rule or document the only test consistent with just cause is whether the employee as a reasonable man or woman could believe that he or she would receive time off or be discharged for the offense This is not to say that because the employer has never disciplined anyone or published a rule governing the behavior on a prospective basis, that he is prohibited from changing his policy in the future. It is inherent in the rights of management and the regulation of the workforce to insist on responsible behavior by employees, and although laxity may have been the practice in the past, it does not have to be tolerated in the future. But management cannot Tighten up by imposing discipline on one offending individual where there has been no rule in the past and no punishment in the past. That's exactly what we're talking about on this just cause revision. They had a clear rule. They told him about the rule, but they've never disciplined based off of that rule in the past. That's what he's saying. You can't just decide you're going to tighten up by imposing discipline. All governed by the policy or rule must be notified as to management-specific intentions. That's what we're talking about. If you're going to decide to enforce it, you need to tell me first. You need to come around and say, hey, look, all this stuff we've been doing, that's coming to a halt. We're going to go by the law of the land. We're going to go by the rules, okay? The union then has the opportunity to challenge the new rule or policy on its face as to its compatibility with just cause or in its later specific application. But an analogy to procedural due process demands that those who will be punished know in advance the probable consequence of their act. And that's going back to, is there a rule? Is the employer aware of the rule? Is the employer aware of the consequence of not obeying the rule? That's another good one. I have to know what the consequences are of me not obeying the rule. I'm aware, of course, that management bases the discipline, in this case, on insubordination a published and known offense, but the word insubordination carries with it the concept of an employee who, with calloused indifference, deliberately fails to carry out a known and proper order. Mr. Mortalero is an intelligent, long-service employee with a good record. There's that tenure again. I think he treated this order to clock out the vehicle with the same level of seriousness as his fellow employees that if he failed to carry it out, the most he would suffer would be another chewing out and be embarrassed in front of fellow employees. He was not insubordinate in the usual sense. He did not question the order and refused to carry it out rather than grieving. He just did not take it so seriously as the employer would have the right to expect under the appropriate circumstances. I do not have the authority nor am I competent to say what the punishment should be, if any, in this case. All that I say here is that for the reason stated, the two-day suspension was not for just cause. Mr. Mortolero should be reimbursed for his lost pay and the record of this discipline removed from his personal record. So that's a beautiful site talking about that very just cause principle. Okay, there are thousands of sites. Those are just two that I, that I found that I really like. It says, uh, it explains it beautifully, that just cause principle. So, new stewards, when you're studying Article 16, study these just cause principles. Break them down just like we're doing here, okay? Find something that fits in there. Uh, Is the rule consistently and equally enforced? That's a killer of discipline. I'm telling you, that's a killer of discipline. Get to be good friends with your Formal-A. Contact him, tell him what you got going on, and he'll probably be able to help you out, Okay? The next one we're going to get into was a thorough investigation completed. My favorite one. Uh, my favorite one. And it's one that we do an absolutely horrible job on. And, but we're going to correct that. All right. We're going to start doing a better job. So, this episode, a little bit longer than I wanted it to be. But is the rule consistent with equity enforced? Make sure that that's, uh, that's the case in these disciplines that we're, we're, we're defending. Okay. Get into those just cause principles, stewards, and and get your contentions ready for arbitration. Uh, I don't want anybody speaking for me. I want to speak for myself. Uh, I don't want my formal A having to speak for me because I did a terrible or lazy job at the informal A. Get you a good uh, template, discipline template, and get your your contentions pristine and uh, help out your formal A as much as you can. That way when he gets it, he can just touch it up a little bit And just wait for that formal meeting to address what management's going to say. All right. So hope y'all enjoyed this one. It's rather lengthy. I didn't think it's going to be that long to tell you the truth, but it's a, it's an important one. It's a critical one. All right. So y'all take care of yourselves. Uh, Hope y'all having a blessed day and I'll talk to you on the other side. All right. Bye-bye.